Tom from America. Svein from Norway. We're here with the Great Divide podcast, and this is episode six, the next part of our No Place Like Home discussion. We appreciate everybody listening. So we're not going to waste a whole lot of time here. We, we want to get into the track-by-track track, uh, analysis of No Place Like Home because we pretty much have done everything we can to set set up the album and where it came from. So No Place Like Home comes out in 1991. It's produced by Pat Moran. And uh, just a quick word about this guy. I, I feel really bad because I didn't know really much about him except for the fact that he produced Edie Brickell. And uh, I did a little, little bit of research shortly before doing this podcast and realized that he passed away not too long ago, just a few years ago. And he died of a, of a disease that sounds absolutely terrible. It's something called, it was something called Pick's disease. And apparently it's some form of dementia that uh, he got, you know, at a much younger age than most people would get that. And it progressed over time and it just sounded awful. And apparently he died of that. So, you know, very sorry to hear that for Pat Moran. Um, he, he produced Edie Brickell. He also produced Robert Plant, Iggy Pop. And he even had an album or had a band in the 70s called Spring. And he was the lead singer for that band and played keyboards. And um, it, it was in, it's an interesting band. You can find clips of it on YouTube if you go just uh, search for Spring and maybe maybe throw in Pat Moran there to kind of uh, even out the search. But he sings, and it's a very progressive-sounding guitar, keyboard type of band. Uh, not really my style of music, but it's but it's interesting. So if you have any interest in, in checking that out, please do. But um, So, yeah, dedicate this show to Pat Moran and his memory. So whatever you think of No Place Like Home, the guy was obviously very talented and did a lot of work. So, okay, so we're going to go into talking about No Place Like Home, track for track, and uh, I'm going to let you start, Svein, but before I do, I want to just read the liner notes that uh, Stuart wrote for that album, because I think it's it's really, really interesting, and I read these the other day, and, and it kind of put everything into perspective a little bit more. So here are the liner notes that Stuart wrote for the remastered version of No Place Like Home. He says, it was all too much for Dorothy. Too much for anyone, really. She was in a world of hurt. Toto was rabid. The Tin Man was all out, all out of trees, and the Lion was making big bucks at Disney. Meanwhile, the Witch of the West had gone off with the Scarecrow to law school, and Aunt Elm was waiting tables at Buffy's Burlesque, best breasts west of the river. Kansas just wasn't Kansas any longer. A lot of people tried to help her. Some of them were smart, and some of them were strong, and some were really only trying to help themselves. She was just about all helped out. She had gone through three pairs of ruby slippers, clicking those heels like a barroom door in the dust bowl. What she really needed was that tornado to come along and just and just blow the heck out of everything, smack that old house somewhere brand new and take it from there. Deep down inside, though, in the small of the night, she knew it wasn't Kansas or all that other stuff. It was just Dorothy, and that no matter where she went or what she did, that's how it would always be, and most times that would be just about fine. So some really great words from Stewart, just like all those liner notes he, he wrote beautifully. And I don't know, what do you think about that? Because I think it kind of gives a perspective as to, you know, what the band was going through at the time. And, and uh, there seemed to be a lot of references there to what might have been happening, kind of some things that we talked about. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, Wizard of Oz metaphors, just like uh, I, what I call the cornerstone song of the album. And uh, they just continue. And you even see the cover. It's all... Uh, a lot of Wizard of Oz, and uh, uh, I, I like his liner notes. I would, on the one hand, like to have facts and what was it like, and uh, the lineup changes, and the producer, and the studio, and the record company, and get the dirt, and uh, you know, tell it, tell it like it was, you know, write something from the period. But he goes the other way and sets a mood and explains more a mindset. 
and uh, how very Stuart isn't that to just get into it in that way and maybe um, explain stuff without telling so much. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think he really, in that second paragraph especially, he really lets on as to what the band was going through because he, he says, you know, a lot of people tried to help her. Some of them were smart, some of them were strong, and some were really only trying to help themselves. She was about all helped out. And, you know, reading some of the things that I've read about what Big Country went through, pretty much starting with the Seer to try to get back their popularity and, and the, the record company people who were getting involved and trying to reshape them. And, of course, that coming to its coming to a head, really, with peace in our time. I think that's a reference to all that stuff. And, and, and when he says here, you know, what she really needed was just a tornado to come and just blow everything, blow the heck out of everything. And in a way, I think that's kind of what what. Um, no place like home was. I mean, whether we like the album, whether we don't like the album, it it really was a big change for Big Country, and um, you know, it it was a it was definitely at times did seem like a tornado that just blew the whole Big Country house down. It certainly felt that way for me at times, but um, yeah. So you're right, and uh, definitely a lot of Wizard of Oz stuff. And and you mentioned the cover. What do you think of that cover of that album? <laughs> I really don't know what to say. It's uh, <laughs> I don't hate it to start with that thing. I think it's uh, I think it's very very blue. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, it's uh, it, it's clearly a mishmash. You see, if you sit down and look at it, and uh, there, there's a lot of detail there. There's a lot of put together. So uh, it's when I say it's blue, it's also a bit green, but it's dark blue, dark green. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of used to and sort of favor the simple designs in Big Country Covers. The Crossing is a simple design, very clear, stark, powerful. Steel Town, some of the same. Right. Uh, the Seer, some of the same. It starts getting more elaborate. And then you have Peace in Our Time, which is really the big change. Yeah. And uh, this is uh, slightly more simple than Peace in Our Time, but uh, it contains a lot of stuff in that tornado. And it's interesting how Stuart uses Dorothy as uh, basically Dorothy is big country in that exactly. thing. Exactly. And when I read those liner notes for the first time, I went back to We're Not in Kansas, which we're going to get into right this minute, uh, and reread the lyrics and is Dorothy big country in that song as well. And that put a perspective on things for me. Mm. So um, there's a, you, you can read a heck of a lot into that stuff if you want to. But um, I think we'll just start and get into the first song on the album. Yeah, go for it. Uh, we're not in Kansas. I said it last time towards the end. I think this is the cornerstone song on the album. Uh, not necessarily that uh, this is the best song, although I think it's one of the best, but it means that everything about the album really starts with this song. Uh, there's the title, uh, there's the cover, there's the whole theme. Uh, it all derives from this thing. And uh, the theme that uh, the band is Dorothy and all that's happening around them is uh, seen in Wizard of Oz metaphors. And I have to say, all the Wizard of Oz metaphors are really endearing to me. Uh, I know that others have found them cheesy, but I really like them, it works to me. Because it's an old classic, it's a, an old loved movie. Big Country, of course, uh, used that for what it was worth. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the song title. Uh, and uh, obvious references like Wrong Side of the Rainbow, where the twisters never come, and 
there's all sorts of things. And I like the twist that immortal slogans, uh, slogans like No Place Like Home comes from advertisers. So uh, there's this whole thing in the song about the loss of innocence, which I think is, is the theme. Uh, that uh, it used to be like this, but now it's not quite like this anymore. And all these big things, like uh, the yellow brick road isn't there anymore. It's uh, sort of lost its innocence. It's gone, whether it was sold to Japan or whatever that means. But there's, uh, and all these characters went off and did their own different things. And uh, what is Dorothy going to do now? We're sort of lost. So uh, I think the song was uh, more biographical, uh, than I first realized when I heard it. From a musical perspective, the song is, uh, it's really, again, a cornerstone song. It uh, encapsulates a lot of the styles that you find on the album. Uh, I think uh, after Peace in Our Time, and especially on the Peace in Our Time tour, uh, they started using some keyboards, and I, I don't like the way they used them at that point. They marred the songs. They would cut through and not fit well at all. Yeah, they were way too so, up, high up in the mix and yeah, yeah overpowering. Definitely, and especially if you listen to recordings from the Peace in Our Time tour, they did songs like The Seer, where the <laughs> keyboard would just cut through, and it's... Please don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> that was my that was my Josh. Uh, what is his name? Phillips? Josh Phillips? I think maybe that was my well. That was my impression yeah. of him. Okay. Well done. Uh, obviously, we, obviously, we're thinking of the same song because uh, that's uh, that that's such an example of how it shouldn't be done, and it was horrible. Yeah. So, so that was one of my <laughs> concerns uh, ahead of this album. How are they going to use keyboards? Uh, and uh, my. I was quickly reassured. Uh, I think on this album they're used perfectly. It mm. underpins moods and melodies much, much more than it, they did on uh, Peace in Our Time and especially the tour. So it doesn't dominate anything. Yeah. And, and we find an excellent example of this on We're Not in Kansas, where the keyboards just quietly come in at some point during the song. You hardly even notice it. You just realize eventually that, ah, oh, some keyboards have appeared in the background. And uh, it really adds some nice touches at the back of the sonic landscape. The keyboards in that song remind me of uh, of something the Who might have used. They they almost sound like uh, some the kind of keyboard stylings that were used on uh, "It Won't Get Fooled Again" or "Bob O'Reilly" or one of those songs. It's kind of it's it's certainly not as upfront or as as a part of the song as those pieces were, but it's got that kind of uh, droning type of uh, padding underneath. And yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's used better. The only problem that I have with the keyboards on this album, and we'll get to later, is the uh, the ham I think it's called the Hammond keyboard or the Hammond organ that's used throughout a lot of these songs, which is a sound that I just absolutely hate in music. <laughs> it's like a, it, it's probably mostly associated with a lot of '60s rhythm and blues stuff, and um, I've never been a fan of that. But that's not used in in Kansas. Kansas is more like synth type stuff. But yeah, as you say, it's it's done very well. Certainly on this song, the keyboards are very nice and non-obtrusive. On the wrong side of the rainbow Where the twisters never come This is a great song, and I agree with you. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's certainly one of the best on the album. When I first heard this, you know, I talked about my reaction to Republican Party Reptile last time, and when I heard this, uh, I, was, I was much relieved. I mean, um, it, it's still it's different, you know. It's still different from the other from what you would consider big country in a lot of ways, but it's it's certainly got the big country feel to it. 
uh, I, I would say the differences musically are just which which appears throughout this album quite a bit. It's just the reliance on a clean, very crisp, clean sounding guitar. And uh, as we talk about this album, I'll, I'll just talk more about how eventually that tone kind of gets to me. But it's it's used differently here. And instead of like strumming, which a lot of these songs are sh- the, the guitar, that guitar part is strummed. In this, it's more of a picking type of almost uh, punkish country type of feel. And I, I love the opening riff. It sounds like you know, a bonanza or something, uh, you know, someone driving down through the hills. Uh, in fact, the, the guitars throughout this entire song are really, really well done. Um, I was mentioning before listening to this album in headphones. And uh, listening to this song in particular in headphones, there's so much cool guitar stuff going on here. And it's one of one of the things I love is when that main riff is playing in the beginning. You've also got like someone playing um, this this constant boom 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 on on the guitar. Like I think it's a G chord or something. But that paired with the higher pitched guitar part. It just really works for me. And then you've got the other stuff going on, like you say, the keyboard parts that come in later. Um, really, really cool. I mean, one of the things that I really loved about this, too, and I remember hearing it at the time and, and really wishing it would have been maybe brought up even more in the mix. And I'm not even sure if it's a guitar or a keyboard. Uh, it, it could be a keyboard, but it sounds almost like a guitar, but it could be someone playing you know, the lines on a keyboard. But... Toward the end of the song, there are melodies going on there that really give you that feel of the bagpipe guitar sound. And it's kind of in the last chorus of the song, and there are just these great little melody lines that come in. got those celtic overtones to it and when i heard that i just you know got the blood rushing and i thought yeah this is great big country's back and like you i i I also find the um the wizard of oz stuff endearing especially the the lines about uh you know toto howling well when he says well dog i know we're not in kansas there's just something sweet about that to me and then when he says uh you know that's what you're howling for I, i really i just like that whole the imagery of that chorus you pinned it uh, exactly with uh, the chorus there and the lyrics that uh, uh, Dorothy and Toto are coming back to, to Kansas. And uh, they're sort of, well, I know we're not in Kansas. This guy's so called wrong. And um, you can't really go back. So uh, it, it's all changed. You can never go back to where you were. So maybe this is uh, also a reference to that we can only go forward. We can't go back. And yeah. uh, the future will be different than it used to be. So uh, we have to touch on No Place Like Home versus Buffalo Skinners. Yeah, I was, I was just going to ask that, yes. Which which do you prefer? Yeah, to me, part of the strength of this version is that they restrain themselves. Uh, this is a song that evokes a whole lot of things. And uh, th- there's a time for rocking out, and there's a time for underpinning uh, certain emotions and certain moods. And uh, I really like the No Place Like Home version. Uh, I also like the Buffalo Skinner's version. I don't think you can go wrong. But uh, to me, uh, 
the rock out version of the Buffalo Skinners is almost like an easy way out. Uh, in my mind, it's much harder to set up a certain mood and to uh, have a song going and you have this uneasy feel of something going wrong that uh, I know I talked at length about for all fall together when we talked about that one uh, and uh, i love those songs this song has some of the same thing there's an uneasy something gone wrong feel and uh, like i talked about how the keyboards underpin a certain mood how the song goes along uh, they don't really rock out they don't really turn up the guitars but they're still going pretty right you know into it and so it's it's by no means a an easy song uh, but uh, the strength comes from uh, the moods and the setups so, so to me it's definitely no place like home is my favorite yeah i you know if you would have asked me this question a year ago i probably would have said buffalo skinners but as i've as i prepared and listened more to this version and to this album i know, I know this is going to sound like uh you know riding the fence and sitting on the fence here but i i i love both versions and i really think that I have to give a nod to the No Place Like Home version at the moment. I mean, I definitely love the the absolute insane emotion of the Buffalo Skinners version. I mean, it, it, that song to me, when they play that, it sounds, on the Buffalo Skinners, it sounds like a bunch of dogs that have been held back in a cage and suddenly somebody opens the cage and they just come charging out because yeah. you, you can really feel the emotion throughout that album. We'll talk about this when we ever talk about that album, but you can feel the emotion on that album of, of a band that feels like they've been held back and really just wants to destroy, you know, and, and that's kind of what they do throughout the whole album. And um, so, I, so I really was always taken by the the energy of that of that version. And and Simon Phillips' drumming is just yes. mi- mind blowing, especially toward the end of the Buffalo Skinners version when he's got this double kick stuff happening, and it's just it's just incredible. Now, but yeah, you're exactly right though when you when you talk about a mood and and no place like home definitely has the nod when it comes to setting just this mysterious haunting evocative mood for that song and it, it's there there are there are many more layers to that song sonically on the no place like home version i mean like i was talking about i mean there there are, there's a lot more care i think that went into you know putting little parts here and little flourishes there um it doesn't make the song uh, more more of a rocking song like it is on Buffalo Skinners, but um, it, it, there's definitely more of a haunting feel to it. And and I guess it just depends on what mood you're in, because I think I think like you say, you can't go wrong with either version. And if you're just in the mood to crank something up and just rock out, uh, the Buffalo Skinners version is the one. If you if you're in the mood for No Place Like Home and you want that haunting feeling, it's then you can't you know you can't do better than the one on No Place Like Home, obviously. And the one other thing I'll say about you know, the drumming, the one thing that I think is great about these two versions is that we get to compare, you know, probably two of the greatest drummers in rock and roll, how they handle, how they approach a certain song. And it's not really a fair head to head comparison because you know that, you know, when Mark did it, they probably wanted it to be more restrained. And then when Simon did it, they probably said, just let loose. And I'm sure Mark could have done more too, if he wanted to let loose, but Mark has some great drumming moments too on that version. And in fact, of the two versions, Mark has my favorite fill in that song, and it's it's um, I think it's when Stewart says, you know, there's there's no place like home, and it, I love this fill that Mark does. Every time I hear it, it just gives me chills. It's like one thing we have the opportunity to do as well is to look at the demos. On Rarities Five, we have the demos of almost all the No Place Like Home songs. That's right. 
so we have an excellent chance of comparing how the songs developed. Uh, I think we're not in Kansas. Is uh, there's not too much to say. Back to back, they are very wow. similar. It has the same guitar sound, maybe a bit more light and shade, but it sounds very finished. So it does. Uh, demos was very close to what they wanted, I think. Shit! So one thing that we uh, agreed to do as we talk about this album is to, for each song, reveal how we feel that song ranks on the album. So uh, uh, there's 12 songs on the album. And if we rank them, we get numbers 1 through 12. So I'm going to start by asking you, Tom, to reveal how you feel we're not in Kansas ranks on this album. Kansas, uh, one being the best, Kansas is number two for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's really tough. It's, it's a very close race, I think, with the first four. But uh, I ended up putting Kansas on number one. Cool. So I so I think we are quite like men on that one. It is a cornerstone song and uh, definitely one of the better ones. I think so, too. No doubt about it. Okay, so we move on from Kansas to the first single release from this album and kind of the introduction of this album and really almost of this period for big country, and that's uh, Republican Party Reptile. And I talked in the last episode about how I felt when I first heard this, and it wasn't good. Uh, but over the years, as I've come to accept the whole period and, and going back, I... I you know, I like this song now, and uh, it was the first video for the song, or for the, from the album, and uh, it had, I, th- I think it had Chris Bell playing uh, on the video, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure Chris Bell was the drummer in this video, um, but Republican Party Reptile, I mean, once you get over the, just the shock at hearing Big Country doing kind of a down-home blues song, uh, and, and just look at it objectively. I mean, it's a it's a good song. It's well structured. It's kind of clever lyric, uh, lyrically, um, and it's it's a very well produced song. I'll say that too. I mean, the whether you like it or not, the, the sound of the slide guitar that kicks that song off is really really brutal sounding. I mean, it sounds. I, I read somewhere before, and I wish I could get a hold of this, but uh, Stewart or Bruce explained how they got the sound, and and they it seemed like they went to some real trouble to get this slide sound and they did a great job because it just sounds it sounds really gritty and rough and uh you know that and again you know that that wasn't necessarily what i or a lot of you people were were looking for from big country uh, a gritty rough blues song but they did it well and they 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 got some great sounds out of it and it still has some big country feel to it in some respects when i listen to big country it's not usually for this type of music but now that it's kind of settled in with the entire catalog, sometimes it's fun to go back and listen to it. Uh, really, the only thing that I'll say that that I really strongly dislike in this song is the addition of horns. Um, and that's just, I mean, they fit. Thematically, they fit, but it's just one of my picky things in music. I, I hate brass, mute, <laughs> brass instruments in rock and roll. So whenever I heard the horns in this song, I just was like, ugh, you know, please. And then the... Um, the kind of gospel choir vocals that kick in, which were kind of a, a remnant of uh, what came before with King of Emotion and on, and on the Peace in Our Time tour with those awful backup singers that they had. So, you know, for me, this is not a high moment, but as the years have gone by, I can look back and, and appreciate the song for for from a technical standpoint and what they were trying to do. And, and lyrically, it's clever, and, you know, it's it's not a bad song. I, I just... Uh, I don't think too highly of it. 
Yeah, Big Country is obviously a great rock band, but I don't think they're a great blues rock band. Right. And uh, while this song has a nice swing to it, I don't think Big Country are believable as a blues rock band from Scotland. I agree. Uh, so uh, I uh, I also find it hard to criticize the critics too much. Yet, uh, I think this was totally the wrong single at the wrong time. I think, unfortunately, that is not... Uh, a unique concept in big country universe. I think a lot of singles were not the best choices. Um, so um, especially in this case, this is not what the band was about. And uh, they hardly dipped in the blues pool. When you look at the songs they had for the album, there weren't that many blues songs here. So what are they trying to do? You know, is this single going to represent the rest of the album? Where are the other blues songs? So right. uh, it was really strange. It was like uh, we talked about Save Me. We talked about Heart of the World and then Republican Party Reptile, which were the three songs that they spearheaded with singles before the album came. And none of those songs really sound like the rest of No Place Like Home. So uh, I can understand the confusion critics might have had the people might have had about big country what what the heck are they trying to do right uh, I, can al- I can almost see save me appearing on no place like home only because of the acoustic guitars in it but uh but yeah i would agree with the other ones even more that yeah they don't really fit yeah and uh, i can't even remember that they ever made a song in this style again it was uh let's call it a mercifully short-lived experiment <laughs> uh, so uh this is the first, but sadly not the last, song on the album with female, soulful backup singers. Hmm. I wish they would go away. I do ooh, too. Ooh, my, my. That, that, <laughs> that, that's horrible. <laughs> I'll tell you exactly what's wrong with this song. It's a polished blues song. Uh, if they're going to do a song like this, it needs to be dirty, not squeaky clean with female vocals. So uh, that's exactly my problem with it right there. Uh, if they're going to do something like this, do it a bit more dirty. Uh, almost like the demo, it's quite similar. It's got more screeching slide guitar. They're almost going overboard with it though. But uh, most of all, there's no female vocals and that does a, a world of difference. And apparently the song is based on a real person. Yeah, PJ O'Rourke. Yeah, I don't know who that is. He's a. I don't know a whole lot about him. I know that he's a conservative columnist uh, in America, and um, you know he's obviously got a lot of Republican conservative views, which would probably not coexist well with Stewart's own views. And so I I guess he was taking a little jab at that. But uh, okay, so would you say this person is well known? He's fairly well known. Yeah, he's fairly well known, at least with people who you know follow politics and and like and like to read opinion pieces and things like that. I've never really read much of his work, but uh, you know, I obviously Stewart must have to some degree. Okay. Yeah, I just feared that uh, the joke about this song being about him would be lost to most people, even if the band found it funny. But uh, I don't. I don't, I don't even think it's about him personally. I've heard that before too. I think it's just he gives a little shout out to him at one point, you know. And I, I know it's you know you're talking about my cousin PJ, and then that's kind of the recurring theme throughout the song. But I don't really think it's a personally. Don't think it's about PJ O'Rourke more th- as much as it is about someone he thinks is, you know someone who think he thinks is espousing those types of viewpoints in their life or that ultra conservative type of uh of viewpoint 
Um, okay. So anyway, but I, right. I, the one thing I would disagree with you on a little bit about is the dirtiness of it. I mean, that's the one thing I do. I think the song is pretty dirty. I I, I think uh, you know it's got kind of a, a dirty feel to it. Now the the backing vocals definitely detract from that, but um, and the horns. And the horns, yeah, those two things definitely take. Away. And, and other things I could mention, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> okay. <But laughs> no, it, it's uh, it's dirty enough. I mean, on, on no place like home, it's by God, it's a thrash metal tune. Exactly. <laughs> so you can put it in that context. But uh, I I just think, uh, in general, if you're gonna do a song like this, you gotta do it. Uh, you you gotta dirty it up a little bit more than than what big country does, and uh, maybe the fact that. You know, maybe they make it sound okay, right? It's it's not a bad song, and live it gets a bit more of that dirty and live feel, but uh, they don't they don't quite do it right for me. So yeah, and and I was never really a fan of the way Stewart sings when he when he sings these types of songs. I mean, he sounds good, but when he's like really trying to belt it out like a R&B singer, I, he sounds good and his and the range is good, but I, I just was never a real fan of of his voice when he sings like this. It almost sounds yeah. like he's trying to be trying to sing a certain way that doesn't feel natural to him but i don't know okay so anyway um the ranking of this song i um it's it's not my favorite on the album it's not my worst either but it i'll place it sort of in the upper tier of the songs i don't like so i give it a nine <laughs> that's exactly where i have it okay so up next is the third track on the album and this is Dynamite Lady. Yeah, first of all, what a contrast this song is to Republican Party Reptile. Oh, yeah. It's uh, much more laid back. It's uh, definitely what I label a night song. It's... Uh, uh, there are certain songs that, you know, at night things look different, they feel different, and uh, you, it's kind of like watching a David Lynch movie. They have that night filter on as well. Things seem unclear mm, and, interesting. and yeah. weird, diff- the, weird somehow. So it's much more atmospheric, very mysterious, very moody. It's got that something is coming, something is going on, what is going on here? So uh, instantly that gets me interested. Those kind of songs just hook, line, and sinker. So, uh, yeah, I mentioned David Lynch. I think this song is Big Country doing their best effort at uh, providing songs for a David Lynch soundtrack. <laughs> uh, it would really fit well. So, uh, A Dynamite Lady, you know, we, we talked about this uh, in the last episode. Uh, and um, I didn't know what it was when, when I first heard the song, but I've since found out this is a fairground attraction that you have a lady who sits in a box. Uh, you stiff dynamite into the box and blow it up and she emerges uh, unharmed from the box that's a dynamite lady right so uh it sets the tune uh pretty early on that uh it happens at a fairground something's going to happen tonight we're making a break for it somehow i don't know what they're making a break for or get away from but uh there's uh, this whole just atmosphere uh, what is actually about is less important than the atmosphere it creates so uh yeah like so many of the earlier big country songs i would agree with that that's the way exactly. it strikes me it, it absolutely goes back to those and even though it's more 
describes a concrete scenario than it would in the early days. It's still sort of abstract. There are still, you know, elements of, uh, you know, what is a dynamite lady? What happens at this uh, fairground attraction? What they're trying to get away from? There's something ominous there. Something's coming. And uh, the song really captures that mood at that point. It doesn't really tell a story. It doesn't say, did they manage to get away? What happened when they got away? So it's just a snapshot of that mood. And, uh, and that really works to me. So uh, I'm really, really happy with this song. It's definitely one of the better ones on the album. Uh, I would compare it with the demo version, which is much of the same. Uh, in the demo version, the chorus uh, is not exactly like on the final version. They right. use it's, uh, it's, the, yeah, right. it's like it's like that part in. It's like the chorus is the part that's in the end of the final version, but it's that way yes. the whole way through in the demo. Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely an improvement. Uh, I, that I agree completely so, with that. Yeah. So uh, otherwise, the demo recording is a little too rushed. And uh, we had some discussion uh, on our Facebook group. Uh, do you like the demos better? And a lot of people were very quick to say they like the demo versions. I don't know if I agree. And this is a perfect example. The demo mm-hmm. is much too rushed. Uh, they really nailed the tempo and the mood of this song on the album. They, they took a lot of care. They put a lot of effort into it. And they, they really nailed it. Uh, but having said that, the demo, you can you can really see where the song is going. So uh, they had an idea, I would think. They just didn't execute it perfectly. You know, just in general, as far as the demo question, I think a lot of people feel like that the emotion of the demos trumps the some of the emotion on the album, which I would agree with. But I also agree that you know, you know, a lot of the arrangements and a lot of the performances are, end up being better on the album, and and this is a perfect example. Th- this is. I believe this song is a masterpiece, and and I don't throw that word around lightly. I I think this is really this is the only masterpiece on this album, in my opinion. Uh, there's some great songs on it, but this one to me stands alone. I mean, I remember when I first heard this, and I heard that opening riff, uh, it was just it gave me chills immediately, and it, and it's a great riff. It kind of it's got Celtic overtones to it. It's um. Uh, you know, it's so dark, and whatever effect he's using on the guitar there, I don't know what it is, but I just absolutely love it. I mean, it, it's just got this liquidy feel to it, the way the uh, the way the guitar part is played, and and just these really odd little effects, flangey effects, or whatever it is. The, the guitar on this song is is just genius and it, it's just such an incredibly as you were saying i mean that talking about this being a soundtrack to a david lynch movie is is perfect because it's got that very haunting feeling and and a lot of his movies you know you try to figure out what the hell is going on in them and you really can't as, really figure out exactly what's going on and yet on some strange level you know it almost seems like a dream that you have where you where when you're having the dream, you know what's going on, and then you wake up and you can't really make sense out of it. That's, that's kind of how I view this song. I mean, yeah, I mean, we talked about last time what I originally thought this song could be about, uh, which, which would have been a cheesy uh, dis- description of a girl, you know, like a dynamite mm-hmm. lady. But, uh, man, it, when it, the way it turned out could not have been more different than what my expectations were, and, and I certainly you know, never thought it would, would end up being such a... Uh, a great song to me. I mean, I think this is also one of the songs where Stewart's lyrics just just are at an at a great great high. My favorite line in the whole song is one of the verses where he says, 
I walk through the clouds and I don't hear the cheers. There's a sound in my head that you almost could see. And the look in their eyes says I might as well live. It was already over before the dust cleared. That that just gives me chills. I mean, just just saying it gives me chills. Um, you know, she's she's obviously walking out of the the explosion of whatever happened, wherever the box that she that was being exploded, being blown up. The sound in her head that you almost could see must be just you know some sort of gigantic headache from the explosion. And then she looks at the faces of the people, and they're just not that impressed. And and uh, they're like, yeah, well, okay, it worked out fine. And she walks away. And I just love the the whole mood lyrically of the song uh, you're trying to figure out exactly what her story is. is is this man and the family somewhere in the suburbs is that her family that she's left behind she's just traveling constantly with this with this fairground attraction and the uh the job that she does seems to you know be a metaphor for her life and it's just there's just so many levels to this song and mm. you know, musically it's it's to me just as strong as it is lyrically which you can't say a, a lot about some of the songs in my opinion on this album but this one you can i mean i can't find any weaknesses in this song at all and as you say one of the things that i think is a big improvement um on the album version is the chorus and the way they changed it on on the um on the demo version it it the chorus is in a major key and it doesn't quite really work. It almost kind of detracts a little bit from the mood they're trying to create. Boom goes the word of the dynamite lady Making her way with a flash and the band Boom goes the light And on the album version, yep. they turn that chorus into a minor key. Boom goes the word of the dynamite lady then even more brilliantly they go they go back to that major key at the very end and it's it's a great when they use it that one time at the very end it's just a great break in the whole song and it just takes you to an to an even different emotional level than than you had been already in the song Uh, I love this song. I mean, uh, it's. I think it's just fantastic. It, it, I think this could sit with almost any great big country song that you want to throw out there. And and this is kind of a, an interesting song that I'll point to, too, because, you know, when you criticize a lot of these albums, like I sometimes do, or, and the new direction, quote-unquote, that big country was taking, you know, people will often say, well, what do you want them to do? Constantly rewrite Fields of Fire or constantly rewrite uh, Wonderland? You know, the band has to grow. And I completely agree with that. And this is a good song that I would point to to say that, no, you know, I don't necessarily want them to rewrite those songs from the first album. They can change, but I want them to still have that essence that I loved about them. And that's what this song is, because this song has so is so different than anything they've ever done. And yet, to me, it's still completely big country. I mean, it, it still fits alongside the other big country songs to me. And yet the sounds are very different. Um, you know, maybe lyrically it's not so different from what you might expect from earlier stuff but uh in, in a way it is because he's almost going into a more of a storytelling mode here but yeah yes to me, to me this is a great example of big country changing and growing but still preserving what makes them so great and this is this is a great example of that in my opinion yeah and you wouldn't get this song if uh, they didn't embrace the musical style of no place like home that yeah. uh, gave birth to this song along with 
several other songs and uh, uh, sometimes you have to take the you know to use Republican Party rap as an example since we talked about that to uh, to get to this <laughs> so uh, right. uh, that's uh, that's always been the case and some albums more than others but uh, you take the good with the bad and it all leads to a complete result which includes uh, gems yes definitely so where would you rank this one yeah, like I said, uh, the top four are really, really close for me, and this is definitely a top uh, four. I ranked it number three. Cool. And you could probably guess already where I would rank it. This is this is my number one. This is my number one song on the album. It's a good pick for a sort of top song. It's uh, uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a cornerstone song like Kansas is. Then again, it's a cornerstone song in the terms of succeeding with the kind of mood they're going for on this album and, uh, and, and really, really pulling it off. And they never did that again. And that's part of why I like this album to include that as part of the dynamite later discussion. Uh, this album is a sort of a place and time in big countries history in their chronology that you never quite got back. They became more of big country, the rock band. So, um, uh, to me, it's kind of disappointing. Uh, I understand it a bit, but it's disappointing to hear people saying, ah, oh, you know, no place like home. They should have rocked out. They should have, uh, you know, done this. Then, then it would have been good. And I say, really? You know, you, you would totally lose out on songs like this. It, it wouldn't work. You'd lose all the nuances. You, you lose all the evocativeness. And to me, this is the last album of big country that really had that evocativeness that they used to have back in the early days all right so we're going to move on from dynamite lady to uh really another evocative kind of haunting song let's keep on dreaming guess i'll go first with this one i i mean i talked about last time this was one of those song titles that kind of gave me pause especially with a little apostrophe at the end it's not dreaming it's dreaming keep on dreaming so when i saw that i thought oh that doesn't sound like something big country would write and it sounds like it could end up being like a cheesy greeting card type of type of lyric and yet what's what's really amazing about the song and, the, and one thing i really respect about it is that that keep on dreaming line is nothing at all what I expected it might be or what I feared it might be. It's actually an incredibly dark twist uh, on that on that phrase that really makes for a very very dark song. And this is not a song about you know positivity in any way, shape, or form. This is not like hey keep on dreaming and you'll eventually get there. This is like keep on dreaming that things are good for you. They're really horrible. <laughs> you know. So I, I like that, as dark as that is, I like that twist quite a bit uh, lyrically. I think that's really, really interesting from Stewart. Musically, um, it, musically, this is when that... Uh, we, we cut this from the last podcast, and I was talking a little bit about a certain sound on this album that kind of started to grate on my nerves after a while or... or that might be a too strong of a way to put it, but this started to kind of get a little annoying to me. This is this is kind of the song that really starts this sound, and it, it, it starts out in the beginning of the song with the guitar part, that clean strummed guitar part. Um, you know, this is kind of the first time you really hear it, so it, it, it didn't get to me at this point, but 
it, it starts to be overused, I think, throughout the album. I do like the verses of the song. I like the uh, kind of the, the drum part that Mark has going there and the little almost thousand-yard stare type of picking that's going on on the guitar. Um, and it's it's just got a very haunting sense to it. Uh, and then it's the one thing I'll say about this song, too, though, is that it's got quite a bit of, of different parts to it that, that have different feelings. I mean, you've got that opening and that haunting verse part and then you've got like these celtic uh flavored guitar solos that come in there which when i first heard them that was a really you know breath of fresh air taking me back to the the big country sound that i love And then the chorus itself is 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 like a, a major. It goes from the minor key into a major key for that keep on dreaming chorus. And uh, again, it kind of conflicts with the lyrics. And we've talked about this a lot when talking about big country songs. You know, these kind of up sounding uh, songs musically with these really awful dark lyrics behind them. What a difference from the themes of peace in our time, which for the most part are very positive. And I could be happy here, and uh, you know all of those things and then you get keep on dreaming and there are other songs on this album that we're, we're going to get to but i think uh, it's got a haunting quality it's got a sort of an easy quality to it uh, especially when it kicks into it's a call called right in the circus and there's an ominous feel to the proceedings and again this is uh, the band managing to restrain themselves and playing just right to underpin that mood and uh, i will say that for several of the songs and it's also uh, kind of a it's also kind of an interesting uh, thing to follow dynamite lady when you've got you know the the girl working at the fair and then we we got references to a circus here as well it's almost like their sister songs yeah. in some respect but yeah, definitely uh, but yeah, yeah go ahead i'm sorry and it might be just a thing you threw in to, to create that illusion, but uh, it works for me. It, it's, it's nice. It, it's, it's one of those things that I tend to look out for. Mm-hmm. So that, that's really cool. And uh, many great lyrics. I think my favorite is, uh, it's hard to see opportunity with a hand drawn across your face. That's yeah, that's, been, a, that's another one, yep. Uh, that, that's always been a fantastic line. That might be one of my favorite lines from the album. Uh, and uh, I would agree with you, of course, uh, Republican Party Reptile aside, after Kansas and after Dynamite, it doesn't quite reach up to the levels of those two. But, you know, by God, what levels do we expect from them on song after song after song? It's still a pretty solid song to me. Uh, I, uh, I expect I, tens. I expect tens for every yeah, song. You do. So uh, <laughs> that, 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 that's, that's you. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm fine with uh, a dab at mediocrity once in a while. No drop in quality. Uh, yeah, exactly. It will not be accepted. But uh, so far, uh, the, looking at the first three songs, the album is a bit of a chameleon because Kansas is different to Republican Party Reptile, is different to Dynamite Lady. And uh, this song brings it back on track for me, style-wise. It starts pointing back to We're Not in Kansas. You see some threads to Dynamite Lady. And it uh, is a sort of collecting song. It's, uh, I think, an important song to have at this point in the album to point in a certain direction musically and lyrically. Mm. So uh, to me, it's a very great album track. It's not necessarily a great standalone track. And uh, they rightly haven't picked it to play live. I, but I think I like it at this point in the album. Uh, I think it's a good song with some great lyrics. They did and, used to play this live, you know. 
A new number for you now. It's called. Oh, that's an old one, sorry. It's called Keep On Dreaming. Oh, baby. 
Okay, so keep on dreaming. Where do you where do you rank this tune? Yeah, uh, I tend to have three batches of of quality. There's the four that I like the most that are classics in my opinion. Then there's the four good song batch, and then there's the four I don't like. So this is part of the mid batch to me, and I place it near the middle. So this is number six. Cool. Okay. <laughs> Surprisingly enough, I'm even surprising myself because I worked out this list not too long before the podcast and with my with my lukewarm description of the song you would never expect this but i've got this listed as number three (laughs) that's really amazing what what the hell is wrong with me (laughs) i guess there's some really stinkers coming up here there must be you know i i will say this that just to just to kind of say what's to come give you a hint of what's to come i i think the quality starts to level out early on this album for me anyway um but uh, so so mm-hmm. my my three three through you know eight or nine or ten or whatever isn't going to be that huge of a jump in quality. But uh, you know uh-huh. I, I I might rearrange this at some point now after I've talked about it. But I'm just going to leave it. So I had it I had it at number three. Shut up! Okay, Beautiful People, no one could be better suited to start the discussion on Beautiful People than Spine. Yeah. So it's just worked out perfectly that you got to take, you got to start this one. Yeah. So, I, so I, here you go. Right, Beautiful People. <laughs> uh, this is easily the most hated song from this album in any discussions we used to have about No Place Like Home on the old mailing list back in the 90s. Right. I think uh, mostly people didn't seem to be able to get past the instrumentation, the banjo, the honky-tonk piano, right. uh, uh, the twang, so to speak. And uh, I must admit I'm not too keen on this song either. I don't hate it like some people hate it, but given the choice I would skip it. Uh, so to me it simply isn't a very interesting song musically and uh, it lacks any kind of interesting arrangements it lacks some melody that holds up to the end of the song for me it is far too repetitive and far <laughs> too long it's five and a half minutes long <laughs> I was going to say the same thing the song builds nicely but it builds far too slowly I believe there's even orchestration on it at the end there so <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's very nicely done but it comes far too late so to me, uh, you know, if they wanted to make this a song that worked, it needs to be chopped off at least a couple of minutes, maybe even half the song length. It's it's far too repetitive. It's, it's and uh, okay, well, what, I mean, know, I mean, I mean, as far as the length goes, there's nothing here to defend that kind of song length. And uh, compared with the demo, which is a much more straight band version, uh, I like the intro to the demo, although it's too long again. Uh, and uh, the straight band version uh, works better to me. So this is one of the demos for the demo is better, but the song is still too long and still far too repetitive through. And uh, the lyrical themes are very admirable, like we're all beautiful people, no matter where we are and how we look and where we come from. 
But, oh my God, I don't know if this song does any good to that cause. <laughs> I agree with you completely. Yeah, yeah, you stole my thunder here on what I was would say about the song, but not surprisingly. I mean, I would imagine most people have the criticism. Yeah, I don't hate this song. I really don't. Um, I think this could have been a nice little song if, as you say, they would have chopped the hell out of this song. I mean, the fact that this song is is over five minutes it's almost five and a half minutes right it's something it is, like it is that. five and a half yeah okay five and a half minutes i mean that that is absolute insanity i mean yeah i yeah i love Stuart dearly obviously but he did um by his own admission sometimes have trouble editing himself and um i but i'm surprised that a producer you know would allow that for this song especially a song that was going to be a single i mean I don't know if they knew it was going to be a single, but this was the second single from the album and also the second video. And, um, you know, to, to, to have a feeling that this could be a single and to make a five and a half minute song, uh, you know, that's one of the things that I think big country suffer from a lot with, with their single releases, not only the, the choice of the single sometimes, but almost every single time they released a single, it was edited, sometimes heavily edited for the single version and I always thought the song kind of suffered from that sometimes. But um, the honky-tonk piano, I certainly am not a fan of it. I don't generally like that kind of music. But I could have accepted it uh, in the song if it had just, number one, obviously, just for the rest of my discussion, just assume that we're constantly saying it needs to be shorter, you know, like two and a half, three minutes tops. And I think even that would be pushing it. So, but even that said, I think if the honky tonk piano had come and gone at times, you know, but that thing is there from the beginning of the song to the end of the song. It never leaves. It never goes away. And I think that's one of the the main problems of it because it just becomes so grating after a, a couple of minutes and you're just so sick of hearing that thing. I, I don't mind the banjo. I think the banjo is cool. I think it's a you know a nice little addition to a big country song. There's mandolin in there too, which I think works. And actually, the demo of Beautiful People kind of kind of has some hints to start and cross to me. Uh, there's there's kind of a similar type of instrumentation going on there. I, I will say though that I remember getting the single version, and this is actually going to conflict with what I said before because I think in this case. The, the editing of the single version actually helped the song. In fact, I think there were even maybe a couple of big country mix tapes or CDs that I made in the past that I threw the uh, the single version edit of Beautiful People on there because I think that's only like three minutes and something. And, um, it, you know, it worked much, much better in that smaller dose, and you could get a sense that it was not a, not a bad song. But, uh, yeah, I, it just I, – I'll never understand why they allowed it to be five and a half minutes and – you know, as you say, there's nothing. It's not even five and a half minutes of of anything different. It's just the same thing over and over and over again. So, they even bravely tried to play this live on the No Place Like Home tour, and uh, it was the same issue there. Yeah, yeah. So we seem to be extremely like-minded on that one, and uh, I uh, I like it even less now than I did before we started discussing it. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, a song that gets a lot of scorn, and I think deservedly so. So yeah, I think it's it's really uh, you know we, we, as far as single choices goes, this is the weirdest one ever in the really entire career, uh, and that that can't go by uh, unmentioned. Uh, the fans didn't like the song; they drove away the fans with this. It was hated. 
I, I never really, there's probably some that uh, would stand up and say, I love beautiful people. They would stand alone for the most part. <laughs> uh, so when not even big country fans like this song, how did they think they would uh, get this song to represent the band, put it out there, hopefully get it on radio? I think the radio yeah. did them favors not playing it. Oh. So, so uh, I don't know, it, it, it's the second single from that an album that didn't sound anything at all like the album. Right. So there's everything about the choice of that song as a single is totally nonplussing. I, I don't get it. I don't either. Not at all. So where would you rank it? I can tell you, strangely enough, it's not on the bottom, but it's awfully close. It's number 11. That's where mine is, number 11. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I know you're number 12, but I bet <laughs> you don't know mine. Yeah, I don't know yours, but you certainly know mine. Yeah, I think everybody knows yours. The Hostage Speaks. Now, um, really, I think one of the stronger songs on the album, but also, for me, one of the most frustrating songs on the album. I think when, when people talk about at least from my perspective, when when we talk about the demos being better than the than the album version, for me, when I think about it from the No Place Like Home perspective, it, it's it's not the instrumentation so much that I prefer on the demos. You know, it's not like I necessarily wanted them to, you know, bring in the hard guitars on every song, but it was just I wanted more oomph. I wanted more emotion. I wanted more of a building, you know, powerful feeling to some of these songs that seemed to require it or, or ask for it. And I think the, the biggest offender of not doing that on this album, as good of a song as this is and could have been, is The Hostage Speaks. I mean, um, it's a really, really interesting song, a very unique uh, take on on what was going on in the world in the, in the Middle East and something that still rings completely true today. I mean, it's a song that does not sound at all dated when you read the lyrics. I like the way the song opens. I I really like the demo version of this song. Not to not to jump right into the demo comparison, but but I don't know if it works, and I don't know how to make that make sense of that dichotomy of what I'm saying here, but I, it's like I like the feel of the demo version, and I like the, the guitars and some of the parts even better, but yet I don't know if the, the tone of that demo version and the speed of it really works uh, for the song. I think the way this song starts out on No Place Like Home, the pace that it starts out and even the instrumentation of it really work initially for the theme of the song. It, it gives you a sense of like traveling through the desert. And if such a thing could even happen, it almost sounds like a, you know, a mixture of Celtic and Arabic uh, sound stylings. I mean, that boom, boom, boom. It, it just kind of sounds like camels riding through the desert and it fits the lyrics to me. Um, I, I like that a lot. I like that riff. It's a very catchy riff, memorable riff. My problem with this song, and you know, about halfway through, I just want it to go somewhere, and it just never does. The song, the song never builds. It never builds into a crescendo. It never, 
explodes. Uh, and, and when I say explodes, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's got to, you know, kick in like the can, like the Buffalo Skinner's version of Kansas. It just, it needs something else. They, they try, they, they start throwing in like little wah-wah guitar parts at some point and, you know, they start throwing in some other types of guitar parts, but it just never, it never changes. Like the feel of the song is, is flat. It's a flat line song, I guess is a way I would put it. The way it begins is the way it continues is the way it ends. And there's a lot of great stuff about it. There's a lot of great lyrics in it. But in the end, I come away being frustrated by this song because I, I want kind of a hybrid of that demo and this version um, to come into play. And I, I think the, the chorus is really beautiful. I think I like the melody of it. I like I love the uh, the the thought behind the lyrics. I've had enough of holy men and holy wars. I mean, I feel that way every day when I look at the news, you know, and I still feel that way. I mean, those lyrics really ring true to me, and just kind of that frustration of just the stupidity of of people, no matter what religion they follow, but people letting religion factor so much into into the way they do things in the world and the way they make the world a, a worse place and. Uh, you know, from that perspective, I love the song and I love what he's saying here. But musically, it, it leaves me a little bit flat. Um, it starts out promising and just never really lives up to that promise. Wow. Yeah, that, that's really interesting because this song really works for me. And uh, to me, this is the second Cornerstone song on the album. It, um, I, I'm totally satisfied with how the song builds. Uh, so, so to me, it's it's really, really uh, strong, and uh, lyrically, just to get uh, that one out of the way first. Um, yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's always uh, in the news. It, it it's never an old story. This thing, uh, it's uh, it's very directly describing a hostage situation in an area with either conflict or war. Or the cleverness is it could apply really wide. It could be any kind of political situation. It refers to diplomats. It could be any kind of religious uh, situation. It refers to holy men and holy wars or any kind of those kind of disputes. So uh, I think Stuart is painting with very broad colors. It can be any such situation. Uh, to me, back in the day, uh, what readily sprung to mind was IRA and the things that were going on in Northern Ireland. That was oh, interesting. Uh, that was the haven of terrorism in Europe in those days. You didn't have the worldwide stage of terrorism that you have today. So back in the day, that was where the mind would easily go to. Mm. Uh, today, unfortunately, the examples seem never ending. So. Um, Stuart is, is describing various scenarios, almost like an eyewitness report. So that makes it very direct and uneasy. Um, and I feel they wanted that song musically also to underpin that mood of uneasiness, of uncertainness, that the outcome is not clear, anything can happen. And uh, Stuart is painting these situations. He does not resolve them. So uh, it's uh, basically a report uh, that doesn't go through to conclusion, much like Dynamite Lady, even though the conclusion is hinted at, but it, you never quite get there. Uh, so musically, I, I think uh, like so many of the songs on this album, the band could so easily have fired away on all cylinders, and I admire how they resist. Um, I still think there's a lovely build-up of this song. It's so subtle that you, you're almost prone to miss it. Uh, like the entry to the second verse. Uh, and if you just compare the first chorus with the second one, they have almost, without you noticing it, gone 
from this. And then they end up with this. Those are two choruses. Chorus one, chorus two. But you notice how much they're built between those choruses and how the first one is muted, moody, evocative, and how the second one is much more powerful. But it's very cleverly done. You really need to pay attention to to see where to raise the bar. Mm. And uh, so to me, there's a whole lot of inner dramatics to that song. And uh, the inevitable demo comparison, obviously the demo is a lot noisier. It starts off really noisy, a lot of slide guitar used. Yeah, uh, I don't like I, that. That's one thing I don't like about that demo is that slide guitar thing. At yeah, the I was just going to say that the first 10 seconds are far too noisy for me. So uh, they, they kick into it. Uh, but it's generally played quicker, and uh, the inner dramatics is not there like the final version. That's almost always what you have to sacrifice on the altar of, of quicker, harder, faster, more. So I think the album version is, again, uh, the ultimate version of the song. And uh, to me, it completely works. The build-up of the song, how the themes go into play, how it's unresolved, how the final part of the song is still sort of muted it goes back almost to the beginning so you've been through a lot of dramatics but in the end it uh, ends like it begins and almost comes full circle to me so to me as a journey through that kind of scenario and uh, a sort of almost full circle journey it completely works so uh, if you're ready for the ranking uh, there should almost be no surprise that this is very high up on my list. I rank this as number two. Okay, awesome. I, I have it high too. I mean, uh, you know, as I say, I I certainly there's a lot about the song I respect and and like. I just wish for you it's a full circle and for me it's a flat line and that's that's kind of an interesting way to interpret it. Um, for my ranking, it is number four, so it's it's still high on the list and yeah. You know, I, I might even flip that with keep on dreaming at some point and make it number three versus number four. Uh. Again, one of the, to me, one of the strongest songs on the album. I wish it would have gone a little bit further in some ways, and but it's still a very good song. This is a song which has uh, become kind of topical. It's a new number. It's called The Hostage Speaks. 